got a great song to play, you know. Just, uh, uh. Hello? <laughs> Have you ever snogged a lady? Um, we had a technical problem. Are we on? Can we... Yeah. <laughs> We're on there. Can I swear? <laughs> Shit! Welcome to Crunch and Roll. My name is John Fox, known to some as Foxy, done breakfast shows across the UK, more recently some work for the BBC. Now, sometimes in these intros, we like to tell you a little bit about our guest in case you don't know much about them. But today's guest is Stephanie Hurst. So, well, we can't imagine there's anybody listening who doesn't know her. So we'll keep it brief. In this episode, we hear how she was busted for being on air when she shouldn't have been, how she pestered her way onto Minster FM and how Mike Toolan gave her some sage advice early in her career. There's a lot to talk about. So in a crunch and roll first, we're doing two episodes on Steph. So look out for part two later in the week. Just to warn you, there's some strong language and some adult themes, but let's crunch and roll. Oh yeah. Stephanie Hurst, how are you? John Fox, how are you? I'm sat here um, in Solihull in our tiny little studio looking at you on Zoom. Yeah. Looking at Radio Bedroom, the, the world famous Radio Bedroom. <laughs> but what I'm doing is I'm looking around the equipment and going, right, that was definitely stolen from Viking. <laughs> that was definitely Nick from Galaxy. <laughs> I mean, Do you know what? There's, I mean, nothing that was, there's nothing robbed from anywhere that me and you have worked, actually, I don't think. Um, I mean, for anyone that thinks it's as grand as John is, is making out, it's not really. It's just a bunch it of, is. it's just a bunch of old turntables, um, a mixer, a, well, it's a Sonifex S2, 30 frame, fully loaded. And, uh, but even that's, <laughs> no, but even that's getting old now. So I've started, um, I was at TechCon, um, which is a big conference that the, the radio industry has. And I'm like, oh, digital desks. I think that is it. But I'm going to have to save up because they're like 15, 20 grand. Are they? Blimey. It's, it's, <laughs> well, they're expensive. Radio bedroom looks great. Oh, looks bless great. you. Bless you. you well, know, this thing saved uh, my bacon and we'll come on to that later. Now, uh, I'm going to just start by saying that I think that you are, without doubt, one of the most loved radio professionals in the UK. Oh, that's really, genuinely, that wasn't a delay on Zoom, that was me processing it. Um, that genuinely, <laughs> thank you. Um, you. You know what the industry's like, uh, and it, it can be bitchy at times, and I think, you know, as, as you get older, that becomes less so, you just become more grateful for what you've done. Yeah, massively. Um, but I, I, I've never spoken to anybody ever who's ever had a bad word about you. That's really nice. I always, um, I always want to treat people the way I like to be treated myself. And my parents, you know, installed those values in me when I was growing up. You know, my mum my used to say, don't be a twat. <laughs> I think she was saying that. To, look, my mum taught me to swear. I'm from a council estate in Barnsley where I was raised on gravel, diesel and Finders crispy pancakes. And um, so my mum always said to me, don't be a twat, don't have dirty fingernails, a snotty nose and present yourself as best as possible. And we had very little, you know, my mum, we were on benefits, only my dad was working. So, you know, we didn't really have much. I wanted to work on the radio from a really young age because I got this thing called a radio when I was seven. And I'm sure, John, you've got the same story. You know, you get this thing, you start tuning around the dial. And I see, I see the radio almost as going on holiday because you can tune around the dial to all of these different destinations, which are different radio stations. And if you were a bit nerdy like me, you'd kind of get your 
you'd get your aerial that was attached to the radio and you'd point it in different directions. Then you'd try and attach a coat hanger to it or something. And then you'd be tuning around, you'd get the, I don't know, the American Forces Network, AFN, you'd get all these Russian radio stations, you'd get all, then you'd find Radio Luxembourg, which was, and I know listening from, I've listened to every edition of this podcast. Lots of people have talked about Luxy and Tilly in particular, who was there. And, you know, you tune around and I found Luxy right at the dying embers of when it was on, just before it kind of went to satellite and then came off the air. So I never heard it in its heyday because I was I was far too young. But by 89, 90, I'm kind of discovering Luxay. And the one thing I noticed that they didn't have many adverts. And I knew this was a commercial radio station because I'd heard of Radio Luxembourg and I'd seen a few things on television about it. But I found that magical that you could listen to this thing that was, it was in Luxembourg. Of course it was. And it, this is miles away. It's in Europe. Um, so that was, for me, was, wow, you can hear all these things on this magic box. And that blew my mind. So I wanted to be the person inside the magic box. Age seven, you, you, you kind of catch the bug. To, yeah, to one of yeah. The already presented. Yeah, there was, there was something I got. In fact, I'm looking at it now. It's on my windowsill. Um, my Rotel radio cassette player. I'd had a Crown single cassette player that didn't have a radio on it. Um, I've still got that somewhere as well. I never chuck anything away, I'm a hoarder. Um, so I got this one that had a radio on it and I used to tune around the dial late at night and I found James Whale. Now he was on Radio Air. Now that wasn't my local commercial station because I'm from Barnsley. Um, so Hallam would have been traditionally my the, the nearest station to me, although where we were based on Addersley North, the council estate that I, I grew up on, was to kind of the west of Barnsley. So it was more towards Wakefield. So you could get a really good signal for Radio Air and Hallam. But I used to ring Hallam and I could never get through to the DJs. Literally never get through to them. There was always a phone operative answering the phones. So when it came to Radio Air, Hallam had a bit more cash than Air did. So the DJs just used to answer the phone. So you'd, you'd ring up Peter Tate, the late, great Peter Tate, whose ashes are spread, actually. Uh, some of his ashes are spread outside Radio Air or Greater Six Radio and Pulse One now. So just as you walk in the building, as you're walking on the right-hand side, there's a rose bush and some of Peter's ashes are spread in there. And I always say hello to Peter every time I walk in the building because he was a broadcasting genius and just wonderful, a, a real, just a master of, and funnier off the edge. We've all worked with these people that are funnier off the air. Yeah, absolutely. And he was just a master of uh, one of the greatest, tightest local radio. I hear the fact that I've put him in a local radio because he, he, he could have been much bigger. He could have been a bigger star. He was such an amazing broadcaster. So, you know, I got, I'd ring up Radio Air, 0532 <laughs> Stick me near a touchstone phone and I can still dial that 0532 Because when Peter Tate said, call now to take on Tate. So he used to have, this was in the school holidays, when I could ring because otherwise I'd be at school at 9.45. It was take on Tate. Peter's pop knowledge was so good. You could ring him up and ask him a pop question and to see if, you know, you can take him on at it. So I'd sit there with the Guinness hit singles, <laughs> literally <laughs> trying to catch him out. 
<laughs> I think he caught on to this fact. That, and then I'd ring up all the other DJs and just get, I, I, I'd get banned from calling. Can you, can you stop ringing? And eventually I rang up one guy called Paul Stead, um, who's an amazing TV producer. Now he created the Yorkshire Vet, which is on TV and Friday on the Farm. He's done all sorts of stuff and a very, very, really good friend. And um, I asked him if I could come in and he went, yeah, you, yeah, you can come in. Yeah, one Sunday afternoon. He used to do a Sunday afternoon show. Little did he know that I'd already been in because Radio Air had had a birthday party and um, with a fun fair outside and you could go down and you could have a studio tour for 25p. So when I was nine, I'd actually gone in and you were queuing down for anyone that's ever been in Radio Air. There's a smell about that corridor and I can't describe it. It's like a hot air conditioning smell. And I was queuing down the corridor to go into Studio One, which is the biggest studio where they were doing a tour, where they would show people around the studio and what the cartridge machines did and the record players and all that kind of stuff. And um, I was just about to walk in with the rest of the group of people that were walking in and they stopped me. So I was at the front of the queue and I stood in front of Studio One door, looking at Studio Four door at the age of nine and decided I am working here. That's amazing. So it was my it was it was my thought process of right, I'm I'm gonna do this. Anyway, by the age of I think it was about twelve, just shy of my thirteenth birthday, I got to go in every week and make tea so I can make a cracking cuppa. <laughs> so what what year was this? Is this nineteen eighty seven? Yeah, back end of 87, 88. Now, I was so young, I got in really early. So I got in right at the end of kind of vinyl and carts and everything, just before they kind of went to CD. Now, I'd already been banging on my local hospital radio door, which was actually not based in the hospital. It was based in a in the local YMCA, and they used to send the signal over telephone lines to the uh, to the hospital. I'd been banging on their door, but I was too young. They wouldn't let me in. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? You can't get into a hospital radio station, but you can get into your local commercial station at age 12. Well, that was exactly the same for me, that I couldn't get into hospital radio until I was 16 because of insurance reasons. Yeah, this was it. This was it. But I did I did manage to get in before I was 16. I wrote to them on Radio Wear headed note paper <laughs> to try and impress them. <laughs> but you'd clearly nicked. It, it, no, I, I typed it on the typewriter oh, at Radio Air <laughs> and put it in the Frankie machine at Radio Air so it turned up franked. So it actually came, you know. I've got so many envelopes from when I used to write to Radio Air. And uh, they've got the Radio Air 362 old logo on them and stuff when I used to get when I was a kid. And uh, yeah, so so Hospital Radio Barnsley would have got this letter that, that was franked Radio Air and on Radio Air headed notepaper. Anyway, they allowed me to go in, but I wasn't allowed to have my own show. But I used to go in on a, on a Tuesdays when they had kind of a weekly AGM and everyone would kind of get together and, you know, talk about who's not paid their subs this week. And, you know, it was two quid a week or, or a month or something you had to pay. And uh, usually me. So I used to go in on Tuesday and then I'd go in and help a, a guy out that's no longer with us, a lovely guy called um, Jack, who used to do the Wednesday night programme. And he was like in his late 50s or something. And he would, I'd worked out that he would only turn up um, one in every three weeks. Really? <laughs> So sometimes I turn up on a Wednesday night and he wasn't, I'm 14 at this point. I just, he wasn't, he wasn't in. So I'd leave it till about eight o'clock. I'm like, right, I'm going on then. So I would put myself on the air, <laughs> on hospital, on YMCA hospital radio, Barnsley. 
Now, I would have got away with this absolutely perfectly. What they used to have um, is a phone in the kind of reception area, but it was an old dial phone and they used to have these locks that went into the dial. So, um, so you couldn't make phone calls on it. But what I learned, because I'm from a council estate, is that you could tap the phone. So I used to tap our home phone number, 297 and whatever it was. So I'd tap the top of the phone, one, two. On, do you know when you put the phone down, you've yeah, got two yeah, prongs yeah. that come up. Tap that twice, then tap it nine times, then tap it seven times. And eventually, after about three or four attempts, I used to get this old woman all the time. She probably thinking, who's this person that's ringing me on a Wednesday night? Um, eventually, I'd get my mum to say, I'm on my way home, I'll see you in a bit. Anyway, um, one night the boss of the hospital radio station came in and caught me mid-show. They'd worked out who was using the phone on a Wednesday night and they cross-referenced the phone number and it was mine. So they caught me on the itemised phone bill. I was like, damn, they didn't catch me on the air. <laughs> they caught me on the itemised phone bill. It's good to know the boss of the station's listening. Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Is this going out or is it just in our headphones? The hamster's fine. It's a technical problem. You heard something on air you shouldn't have done. Oh, yeah. Now, look, uh, let's get on to Radio Air. So when do you start becoming a regular on Radio Air? Because, you know, you, you made the cups of tea. I know you're putting all the hard graft to get there to, to, to try and realise this dream. So when what, can you can you remember who gave you that first opportunity and said, right, go on, Steph, get on air and do a show? It was a mutual friend of ours, Neil Rudd. Yeah. The, the amazing Neil Rudd, who I owe so much. If you listen to this, Neil, I owe you so much. And I love you to bits. Because Neil was just doing, I think he was just doing Saturday into Sunday overnights. And for him, this was a big gig. He'd it, it, it got onto, you know, he owed, he's from Hull and he wanted to get on Viking. Yeah. Um, but he ended up getting on Radio Air and he'd done hospital, done Kingstown Hospital Radio and also he'd really worked hard. Um. But in me, he, he saw some talent or something. I don't know what he saw, but um, I used to give Neil tapes. Now, I was giving Paul Fairburn, who was the boss of Radio Air, or Air FM as we were at that point. Yeah. I was giving Paul tapes and he just used to say to me, you're not quite ready, you're not quite ready. Then one night, Neil came off air at six o'clock and then sat with me till like nine, ten o'clock for four hours and sat and made a demo for me. And I gave that demo to Paul Fairburn and he was like, oh, this is, this is okay. And then Neil was off one night. I think he was ill, he was Ill or something. Anyway, they put me on. So I got to Depp for Neil, which was amazing. It's all thanks to Neil Rudd. All thanks to Neil. He put, he got me on. Um, and my first song was, I was the Rubets and Jukebox Jive, which was rubbish, which I had to play off Dat and the tape path on a, on, on a DAT machine is a, pretty much identical to a VHS back in the day. So it wasn't as tight as I wanted it to be because I like to be nice and tight. And then my second song was where I did my link was my first link was coming out of that into Billy Ray Cyrus and Aki Break Your Heart. But I called him Billy Ray Cyprus. Was that deliberate? Uh, or was no, that no, no, no. Just I was so scared. And then I back announced, but actually I back announced him as Billy Ray Cyprus as well. I think I'm mildly dyslexic. <laughs> Genuinely, I think I am. I think I get word blindness sometimes. But I knew he was Cyrus. I don't, I don't know. And I genuinely, I genuinely think I've got some form of mild dyslexia because I do occasionally get word blindness, but I've made it part of the act over the years. <laughs> it's well, a look, coping mechanism. So, look, you spend a, a few years at Radio Air. Yeah. And then in, in 94, you go to Minster FM. 
Uh, do you know what? Do you know, 4.7. Do you know, genuinely, when you, I said to you, I said, Steph, send me your CV. And you said, I mean, I, I, there's a lot on there, as everyone, <laughs> as everyone would expect. But I didn't realise you did time at Winster FM. Yeah, so I'd been at Radio Air and Mike Toulon, who I, I, I love to bits. I used to work with Mike. He used to do this Saturday afternoon show on Radio Air called The Hotline. And there was me, Mike. Uh, it was Mike on air, of course, and he used to kind of co-host it with this wonderful lady called Martine Ainsworth-Wells, and she's fab. And uh, and I used to be their little producer and stuff, and they got a little vibe going on on a Saturday afternoon. But I was a bit, if I'm honest, I think I was a bit hyperactive a little bit when I was at Radio Air when I was younger and stuff. And I remember Mike taking me into the studio one day and really saying, you need, you need to really grow up because you've been, you know, you, you're bouncing off the walls. You've been a bit of a lunatic. And because I was, I was full of, they stopped giving me E-numbers when I was a kid because I was literally <laughs> bouncing off the walls. And he said to me, maybe you should think about, you know, leaving and going somewhere else and then, then come back. Now, he said this to me, this is before I got my overnight show. This is before Neil sorted that out. This is just before all of that. So that seed was planted in my head that I needed to kind of, I was 70 or 16 at this point. We are all a bit immature at 16, aren't we? Some, some of us are. And um, so that, that seed was, that, that seed had been planted and that was, that was growing. I knew that people, I, I may have, because I started there when I was 12, I was so young. So I think people may have had this, you know, nasty bit immature. So I started thinking about, right, I've got onto Radio Air. I can now start making demos. I can now start, you know, looking forward. And I'd done the overnight shows at Air and I'd, I'd spent about a year doing that. And I got to 18. So I sent off a few demos and I went up to Metro to see Giles Squire um, which actually I think came in handy. That meeting came in handy much later on, actually, when I joined the Pulse. But I also wrote to Minster FM, to Paul Carrington, who had been Legend. the funster. You need to get Carrington on if you'll talk. You need to get him on because he worked with Timmy Mallet and people like that who just incredible groundbreaking broadcasters from the, from the 80s, you know, the generation before us. And um, I wrote this letter to Paul that, and sent a demo. And I got this letter back on Minster FM headed note paper saying, thank you very much for your, you know, your demo tape. Um, I wish you the greatest success at, at Radio Air and Magic 8 because I was doing overnights and it was split across AM and FM. But I'm sorry, you're not what I'm looking for. Anyway, I sat on the edge of my bed in radio bedroom because I've always had a little bit of a, <laughs> a little bit of a studio in my bedroom and looked at the letter and looked at the phone not that I had a phone in my bedroom. It was just my parents from their bedroom that I used to run the cable under the carpet. <laughs> and um, I thought, I'm just going to ring him. So I got up, called the number in York, rang the receptionist, said, can I speak to Paul Carrington? She put me through and he said, hello. I went, hi, I'm just calling because I've just got a letter from you from, um, and gave him my name and everything. And he says, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I sent that yesterday. That got there quick. All oh, right, okay. Um, yeah, you're not what I'm looking for. No, I am what you're looking for. No, no, no. I remember listening to your demo yesterday. You're not, you're just a little bit too young. You know what I'm looking for. No, no, no. I am what you're looking for. Trust me. No, you're not what I'm looking for. Honestly, thank you so much. Now, I hope everything goes okay at Radio Air and da da da. I said, honestly, I am what you're looking for. And then there was a silence on the phone. And he said, 
well, if you think you are, come and do a live demo now. Where do you live? I said, Barnsley. So I literally got into, I just passed my driving test. I got into my Vauxhall Nova, which I've still got. <laughs> drove, hell for leather. <laughs> it only went as fast as 60 miles an hour anyway, so I couldn't go, I couldn't break the speed limit. So, you know, rattling down the A64 towards York, not knowing what I was going to do. Got there, got into Minster, met him. He made me a cup of tea. We chatted. And then I think Elisa Hilton who I went on to do the breakfast show with at the Pulse, was on opposite me. She might have been on opposite me. He basically, say for instance, it's three o'clock. He took her two o'clock music log and her CDs, chucked them on the, on the desk in the spare studio, put a reel of tape on the machine and said, right, do me an hour. So I started, I don't know what I did. I've got no idea. I've never heard it. And uh, it came in after about half an hour, rewound the tape, played it back. He said, why didn't you do that on your demo? You're on on Sunday. Wow. And literally put me on. So I covered for a guy called Alex Khan and, uh, and did, and did a Sunday night. And then from that, I used to get cover work and then overnights. And then I weirdly got, I weirdly got a daytime show, which was 11 till three. I've never done an 11 three shift before, but I got 11 till three on Minster. But then they started me getting to schedule the music. And then I was making the ads so, you know, voiceover artists like Al Dupree would come in and Pete Twist and other people like that. And, you know, you get all of these people coming in because, you know, they didn't have ISDN. Uh, it was the early days of ISDN. So you get the voiceover artists coming in so to direct the sessions. I'm 18 and I'm scheduling music, doing a daytime show and making ads, which is all well and good. And, you know, I knew how to edit. I knew how to, produ I knew how to do production. But, you know, you're 18 and you're starting to drop a few plates. And they expected a bit more. So one day I just had enough and quit. Did you? I literally just went, I'm done. I'm literally done. So, and I got a holiday to Magaluf coming up. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> Come on. So I got a holiday to Magaluf coming up. Um, so I went to Magaluf and then ended up staying on and, uh, and then DJed in BCMs, warmed up in BCMs in Magaluf. No way. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, because I'd always DJed. So my dad, I'd always had a mobile disco from the age of, 12 or something like that. Uh, my dad was in bands, so we'd had amplifiers and PA systems and microphones and stuff. So he bought me some twin turntables for like my 12th or 13th birthday. So I'd always DJed, I'd always done parties, I'd always done discos. And then I got into doing nightclubs and stuff. So I'd, by 16, 17, I was working in nightclubs. I'd always got that going off on the background, you know, because I knew that if the radio work failed, I could get gigs. So yeah. I've always performed live. I've always done that. Always. It was a technical problem. You heard something on there you shouldn't have done. Oh, yeah. All right, so you're out in Magaluf, and it's time to return. And did you mention, <laughs> so there was, a, there was a connection when you went to Metro for a chat that, that potentially got you, because you, you'd then go on to the post. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd sent tapes. I'd literally got 10 minutes with Giles Squire, went up to Metro, and... And that was that. And, you know, I mean, it was just, I think he probably met a lot of people. Giles, who, his son actually went on to produce me. Um, Giles Tanner, who's um, who's now quite up in, in, in the capital group at Global. And, um, which weirdly, years later, Giles Senior lives in France now, in the south of France. But he obviously came back to visit his son, Giles Junior. One weekend. And Giles Jr. comes in to produce the show on Monday morning. He says, oh, my dad's coming in. Can he sit in the studio for like an hour? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> 
literally my backside fell out. <laughs> I'm thinking, because you know, Giles was so well respected and renowned as a programmer. Metro Radio Group, you know, was one of the first big radio groups and it was a bottomless pit, this thing. You know, it had its own scheduling software, Muscom. Um, it had its own helicopter. It, crazy, it? Honestly, they had a CDR machine in the late 80s or something. They literally, Metro Radio Group was like, it was huge. It owned stations, it owned Viking, it owned Hallam, Metro, TFM, Pulse. I think it was five or six of them they owned. Um, and all the AM stations as well. So I'd been up to see him like a year before or something and then sent a demo out before I went to Magalov, sent a, a round of demos out. Not many, actually. I sent one to Hallam, to Steve King, then one to The Pulse. And whilst I was in Magalov, I rang home with me. It wasn't the Euro then, it was Pesertus. And uh, for those that used to wear the Pesertus on a chain around your neck, yeah, I used to do that as well. <laughs> anyway, rang home. And my mum said, um, there's a letter that's come from, I think it says Pulse on it. I went, open it! <laughs> Anyway, um, Steve Martin, the boss at the Pulse, wanted to see me. So I came back and then uh, he gave me an overnight because the overnights used to come from Hallam, night tracks. But he took it out of networked overnights and just gave me one overnight at the Pulse. And I did. And he liked it and he gave me drive. And I was shit. Were you really? Absolutely awful. No, I listened to some tapes recently because I'm just digitising my archive and um, I've heard a bit of it. It's not as bad as I, I thought it was, actually. But it's not great. And then evenings came up. So I got evenings, which Moyles had vacated like a year and a half before or something. And then James Cridland, under the names of James Andrews, he did it for a bit. Then Elliot Webb did it because he'd come off breakfast because he was doing... Yorkshire Television calendar news reports. Really? I didn't know Elliot, this. Elliot was wow. reading the news on telly for a bit, which Steve Martin called him Ellie on the telly. Brilliant. And, um, <laughs> uh, and then, yes, yeah, so then I got evenings and this is the point where everything changed. This is the point where I started because you've got to remember when we're first starting out, you're just a mixture of people that you've listened to on the radio. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah we're yeah. just an amalgamation of all I'm of these... How many times did someone say to you, and I, I had a few people, um, a, a mutual friend of ours who um, went on to be your producer and then mine for a very short period of time, um, somebody who nobody's ever mentioned his name on this podcast hey! and he gets quite irate about it. Beard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I remember when I was at Hospital Radio, him, and, and he, it was good advice. He used to say to me all the time, stop being, I don't know, Joel Ross. Stop being Jason King. Stop being... Yeah. Be a, how many times did people say that to you? Yeah, a lot. You know, stop trying to be something you're not. And you've got to remember dating back to Radio Air. I had people at Radio Air when I was like 13, 14. I'm from Barnsley. I had a thick Barnsley accent. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've got people saying to me, you're never going to make it on the radio with, with a thick Barnsley accent. So, you know, you've got all of that. So you start to refine it. Then you become this, um, I don't know, a modernised North Atlantic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just become this thing which just doesn't sound like yourself. And he takes it. Do you know what? The one thing I find is so wonderful now. You know, you listen to Radio 1 around Christmas and you've got all of these, the, the, you know, when Alid is, is giving people the chance to be on Radio 1. 
and just do the odd show or something like that. And you're hearing these people be absolutely raw and be themselves. There's no voice. There's no. So I think for our generation, we were still listening to people who probably weren't themselves on the air, still had that kind of mid-Atlantic 80s DJ thing. You don't get that now at all. And I think it's wonderful that we're getting people coming through. Like there's a guy called Joel Mitchell, who I've mentored since he was like 15. He's just doing Fridays on Radio 1 at the minute. Uh, who just sounds so natural and it's just brilliant. You're hearing all of these people just be brilliant and natural and it's it's fab, I love it. Do you know, I, I was driving in this morning to the studio and I, I, I wanted to talk about the Barnsley accent because obviously I'm from Hull and I've, I know a few people take the mick that I don't sound like I'm from Hull anymore, but I've moved around the country and I now live in Worcestershire. Um, I'll, I'll use that as my excuse. But <laughs> thinking back, I mean, did you worry about the accent? Because I remember when, and we'll get onto Viking, and we're going to get onto the juicy um, part of your career in a bit. But um, as you as you go above eighteen years old, obviously. But I remember when you were a Viking, you became you were so Barnsley, like you were really Yorkshire, which was great. I, I loved it. Yeah, you know, I'm not yeah. But, but when, did you ever worry about the Barnsley thing? No, I didn't. I remember my mum actually saying to me when I was on Galaxy, I'd, I'd really rammed up the Yorkshireness a little bit, <laughs> and. Um, my mum bollocked me and said, I didn't raise you to speak like this. Really? You know, you sound common. Stop it. <laughs> Whereas, I'm sure we'll come on to the chart. Did I mention I had a chart? A um, times, yeah. <laughs> um, that was, oh, we'll talk about that, of course. But that was weird because you'd got so many different people getting involved in the chart. So essentially, every group programme director in the country had a say. So, and I knew that a few said I was too Northern. So I had to curb, I was told specifically, don't be as Northern. So I'm playing the game and Galaxy weirdly took the chart, hit 40 UK. So I would have to do the chart and, and you know, use my P's and Q's and round words off and, you know, not be Northern. And then go on air on Monday going, you all right, how you doing? <laughs> and people used to go, why are you putting a voice on on a Sunday? <laughs> I remember one day saying, I remember on air just saying, because they told me to, I've got to play the game. It's a big show, isn't it? <laughs> I was just honest. I was just honest. All right. So the pulse. So this is when things you mentioned get serious. Well, Steve Martin took me off drive and gave me evenings because I was 18 or 19 or something. It was Britpop, you know, Oasis Blur, Spice Girls. I remember them coming in. You know, you had all these stars coming in. In, into a basement in Forster Square in Bradford. And um, I was just allowed to create. And around this time, Kenny Everett had passed away. Now, I worry that Kenny has been forgotten. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm currently working with Kenny's estate um, to create the official Kenny Everett podcast working with Kenny's sister, Kate, and, and the estate and everything. So that's in production at the minute. So watch this first. Um, because I worry that he's, he's been forgotten. And Steve Martin used to give me tapes of Kenny Everett, not to inspire me, but just to kind of go, look, this is the kind of thing, you know, that I grew up listening to and all that kind of stuff. And I'd never heard Kenny Everett at all. Really? Because I'm... Because it was on Capital. Yeah. It was on Radio 1 before I was born. It was on Capital in London. It was on Radio 2 in the early 80s. 
that I wasn't really aware of. We didn't listen to Radio 2 in our house. So I wasn't aware of Everett. So Kenny passes away and then I hear all of this stuff and these documentaries about Kenny and I'm like, so you can do this with sound, you can create, you can push boundaries, you can multitrack. Now, interestingly, in my bedroom when I was younger, I had two tape machines. I'd record my voice on one whilst playing that back into another whilst adding another voice. And then I'd sing and multitrack myself. So I'd make all these things. I'd hear Kenny doing this stuff. Now, I'd never heard Kenny doing it. I loved Kenny's TV shows. Maybe that had an influence on me because I knew he used to sing a lot of things on television. But I used to do all this stuff at The Pulse. So I'd be in the studio. I'd come off air at 10 o'clock. I'd be in the production studio. I'd see the breakfast show coming in the next morning because I was in there producing um, a guy called Cameron. I think you've mentioned on the podcast yeah. before. Um, we used to say we were cousins. <laughs> That's a, that was a lie, wasn't it? <clears throat> that was a lie, just yeah, so he yeah. could come in the building. Here's my cousin. His family can come in. It's just whether he's not gonna he's not gonna rob a now thirty four CD from office. It's fine. <laughs> so uh, so yes, yeah, so, so um, me and Cameron got really obsessed with comedy, and we started to kind of deconstruct, and we got interested in like Hancock from the sixties, even before that, slightly just before the sixties and Galton and Simpson's writing and deconstructing the jokes and how you write jokes. And then we, <clears throat> around all of that time, Reeves and Mortimer was happening and all. So we started to deconstruct a joke and write sketches and really work on, on comedy instead of just being a DJ. Instead, I got bored of saying, this is the new Radicals, you get what you give and here's Natalie and Brulia and Tarn. It's 10 past two and your chance to win uh, coming up. And don't forget, battle on the sexes. Battle of the sexes at 10 past eight tomorrow morning. <laughs> got bored with that. Bored. <laughs> I need to do more. There's got to be something more in the middle of this. So I started to create and we started to write. Look, I listen back to some of it now and it's dated. There's one clip actually where I, I forget my other half. So I'm panned hard left. And I go, hi, sorry, I've just uh, joined us tonight. Um, sorry if I'm, I'm over here on the left-hand side of your radio. I've just forgotten my other half, but I do carry an emergency tin of the other half of me. So I rummage around in my bag. It's, it's, it's me ripping Everett off because he does this where he has a, Everett has a sketch in Kremen and he, he gets this dehydrated instant crew just add water. So, But it, it, that inspired me. Yes, it's like, I hate plagiarism, but like you, we talk about, you know, people that inspire us. We take inspiration from others. You know, you listen to Paul McCartney. I'm a big Beatles fan, but you listen to McCartney and there's there's some classical music because, you know, McCartney's been inspired by something he's heard classically or, or whatever. So we all take inspiration from others. Uh, and that was me just trying to just do stuff earlier. And then we wrote a lot of original stuff. And, and that, that got me hired at Hallam then. So a guy called Dave Shearer, who's been mentioned on this podcast as few well. A few times. He's lined up to be on this series, actually. Is he on? He's, he's agreed to come on, yeah. Oh, I love Dave. So Dave got in touch uh, or whatever, and um, he said, meet me, Woolly Edge Service Station. So I thought, all right, okay. So I met him, Woolly Edge Service Station, Southside, and uh, we met, we had a coffee, and he literally pulled out of his, pulled a contract out of his bag and went, right, there you go, soft lad. 21 grand, Hallam FM Drive, go it signed. I remember sitting there thinking, what? Which is my hometown station. It was the station I, I couldn't get into. Um, which was great because then all the bullies who, you know, bullied me at school would get to hear me years later, you know, get to hear me on Hallam saying I could never make it on the radio. 
and they liked it so much they bought me drinks on a weekend. I was like, another Smirnoff Ice. Over here, thanks. <laughs> but I got to do drive. So I was 21 years old doing drive on Hallam. That's a big gig. Hallam is, and always has been uh, for me, an, an amazing station. I've never been lucky enough to, to work there. I mean, when you were there doing drive then, Steph, I mean, who, who else was on the lineup? Um, the hardest working person in radio I've ever met, Daryl Denham, was doing breakfast. It was just incredible. Anthony Gay was on meds, the Lord of Mid Mornings. Simon James was on Afternoons, who went on to do Breakfast on Kerrang, of course. Yeah. And then, then it was Brett Harley. Then it was Emma Scott, Red Dot Emma Scott, one of the greatest female broadcasters this country has ever. Well, She's so amazing. We've got her lined up for next week. So there we go. Really? <laughs> yeah. Genuinely, Emma's amazing. She is, she is just and she'll have amazing stories about Horizon and Chilton and all sorts of stuff like that and, uh, and Metro. Um, so, yeah, and we had a 49% reach. Scotty McClue was doing lights. Scotty McClue, yeah. So yeah. Colin, otherwise known as, he was doing he was doing the Scotty McClue phone-in, dinky-doo. And Hallam had this. It was just huge. It was We had a 49% reach. It was incredible. You literally... You asked them to call the phone number, which was, hang on, 0142214444. And the phone lines would just light up like a Christmas tree. Anything you did, you come off air, there'd be people waiting for you outside, you know, for autographs or whatever. And it was out of town. It's in Hillsborough, the station. So, you know, it's quite a journey. It's not as in the city centre. But it was, that was, to be on Hallam was just amazing. There was some proper, there were in Big Jim, the security guard. We always used to say, you can't park there. There was a story about, um, and I think it happened on a weekend. It was, a, I didn't, I wasn't there, but obviously the mail used to arrive on a weekend and Jim would be sorting it out or whatever, putting it in people's pigeonholes or something uh, in between chasing squirrels in the car park. And uh, <laughs> this box arrived and obviously he's put his ear to it and he can hear ticking. So, he walks out into the car park with this box and places it under the tree. And obviously, whoever was on FM, because when you walk into Hallam, you've got two studios either side. So you can, you're looking into reception and you can look outside behind as well. So whoever is on FM has seen Jim walking out into the car park with this box. Obviously buzzed onto AM. They said, what Jim's doing? So obviously they're both obviously in a song or an ad break or something. So they go out <laughs> into the car park going... Jim, what are you doing? And Jim stands back and goes, stand back, lads. I'll take the blast. <laughs> God love you, Jim. God rest your soul. Security guards. There's so many stories about security guards at radio stations, but Jim was, he'd fought in a war or I don't know what war it was, but he'd fought in some kind of war. I'm not sure what it was, but he had half an ear missing. He was either lying to us. And then you had Keith who used to clean his teeth on the tea towel. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, proper, proper characters in radio stations back then. So at this point, I mean, I'm trying to work out your age now then, Steph. So when you're at Hallam FM, 97 to 2000. 14. <laughs> 14. I'm guessing. I'm only 24 now. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing you've got onto the 21. booze. 21. I'm, I'm guessing you've got, you got onto the booze at this point, haven't you? So, um, I mean... T Notoriously, commercial radio station, staff nights out, amazing. Was it this, Was it that culture at Hallam FM as well? Yeah, I kind of, I guess it was actually. Daryl, 
Denham, who I adore. I love, I was speaking to him the other day, actually. And we had, we had dinner a few weeks ago, just before Christmas. And Daryl would hold these amazing parties at his house. And they were just legendary. All of the staff of the radio station would turn up. So you're talking 50 or 60 people. Yeah. Hallam was a big building and it still is. It's, you know, when it was fully staffed. And, um, Oh, it was, we just have these huge nights out and there was a bar called Hanrahan's in Sheffield. Um, oh, there was a particular football player, I can't name them, but there was a football player who had been a bit, it obviously had a bit to drink that night. Anyway, I'd, I mentioned this on the air on the Monday and then I think they'd promised their other half that they weren't going to drink anymore. <laughs> And their other half was in the car with them listening to the radio when I said this and it caused a, I think they split up. So that caused a problem. So I had to make a donation to the local football club. It's one of two. So, because uh, there's two in Sheffield. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I could have made it even more. There's more in Yorkshire, isn't there? Or South Yorkshire. But anyway, yeah, so I did, uh, we did a stunt where I, I, um, I smashed a computer screen with a yo-yo. Yo-yos were big in the late 90s. There was that... Uh, oh, did I? Party in the parks. You know, you get Don Valley Ball in Sheffield where just get any used to train. I don't think it's no longer there, actually. But we'd hold party in the park there and there'd be like 40,000 people, 50,000 people turning up. It was just incredible. Yeah, just, yeah. Hallam was amazing. And then Daryl announced he was leaving to go to Hart in Birmingham. And, and Big John replaced him. And Big John is still there now, still there. Um, but just before that, I think just before Hallam, just before I'd, I'd wanted to get on breakfast. Was breakfast always your dream? No, it wasn't. But I, it was becoming more apparent that they wanted more music at Hallam. They wanted, you know, they, they wanted it to be more forward progression. And, and I worked with an inc incredible boss. I mean, Tony McKenzie, what a guy. I mean, he was a, we were scared of Maka. So when Maka first, Shearer, Dave Shearer went to Hallam. No, he went to Radio City. And then Maka came from City to Hallam. They'd done a swap. And we heard that Maka had been in the army or something. He'd been, I don't know, a sergeant major or something. In the, we'd, there was some rumour that he was proper strict. And if you did a bad show, he'd fire you. So we were proper shitting ourselves when Maka arrived. And then it just turned, it, it was just this just this big, not bundle, because he's a very stocky, you know, muscly, you know, healthy guy. But it was just this big bundle of fun. Loved him. Amazing. Proper character. There was one day, him and John O'Hara, they were bored. So they, they had a snoop with me booked in. So they just thought, oh, we'll just, we'll just take the piss for a bit. So every link, they tore me to bits. I mean, proper tore me to bits. Absolutely tore strips off me. And were just destroying me. And I thought everything was going okay. I thought this show was a good show yesterday. And uh, and Mac, we, at Hallam, do you, do you remember when you were at school, if you, if you went to a school that had those big old windows where you used to have a big wooden stick with a, a kind of brass hook on the end and you'd open the windows. Hallam had one of those because the windows were really high. And Mac had got this thing in his hand and he was slapping it into his hand. Just going, you're shit, you're this, you're not, you're good. Do you think you're doing this? And how do you, da, 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 da. Anyway, let's do it. He says, ignore everything we said. We were just bored. Go on, have a good show. I'm like, you two are. 
I'm like, oh. anyway, so yeah. So, but there was a lot of banter and it was great. And it, I loved, I loved Hallam. But I wanted to do breakfast and it was something I'd always wanted to do. And I, we were getting into the, the, the era of more music and forward progression during the day and less personality. And so I thought breakfast is the way forward. Daryl, every breakfast show I ever did was, was based on Daryl's show. That was the that was the blueprint for me. I wanted something as good as what Daryl's was because it was so good, so good. Um, and one came up at the Pulse. Now I'd been at the Pulse previously. There was someone doing doing the show there, and they left. And uh, an Australian guy called Lee Cornell was the boss at the Pulse, and um, he offered me the the, the breakfast show, um, and literally doubled the money I was getting at Hallam. And he asked me, did I know anyone who I'd like to do it with? And I mentioned Elisa Hilton earlier. And so I asked Elisa. I think she was still at Minster or something at the time or whatever. And um, anyway, she um, she came and did the breakfast show with me. And it was great for the first couple of months when Lee was there. And then he became group program director. And then someone else came in. And it wasn't an easy time. But I think I'd gone through... I was going through a really, really, really tough time mentally. You know, I'd broken up, the relationship had broken up. I was dealing with all the stuff that obviously happened later mentally inside. I'd, I was really crashing at this point and it wasn't a good time in my life at all. And um, and I think me and the programme director, just we just clashed. We just clashed. So it turned out the MD was actually from Barnsley. And we look after our own. So the MD got me out of my contract. And it was a two-year deal that I couldn't get out of. And he got me out of it because I'd heard there was a gig going at Viking. Joel Ross. How he's not dead, I don't know. <laughs> How is Joel still alive? How is Robin Banks still alive? <laughs> I, I, I had a night out with Joel, JK and Robin Banks. And luckily I'm still here to tell them. <laughs> To tell the tale, flaming well, sambucas at like five in the morning. I'm like, no. <laughs> it's funny because they've they've got very similar stories about you as well, which was uh, was was nice to hear. Really? Uh, oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, look, you you only went to the polls for just a few months, but um, so you, you break the contract. You hear about Viking. So Joel, I'd been speaking to Joel about how unhappy I was at the polls. You know, because we talk to each other, don't we? You know. It, it's nice to speak to other people who know the emotions that you go through as a broadcaster on the air. And uh, and Joel said to me, well, we're leaving Viking because we're going across to Key 103. Andrew Robson, who was the PD at Viking, had then moved to Key 103. His deputy at Viking, Stuart Baldwin, um, was made programme director and they were obviously looking for a new breakfast show. So... Joel gave me Stuart's number. I think I called Stuart or Stuart may have called me or whatever. And then literally I went to Hall the same day, met Stuart. He then asked the MD, Sue, Sue Timpson, to come over at the Trust House Forte, as it was called, <laughs> on, on, on Marina. And um, they'd not even heard me. I don't think they'd even heard me on air, on the polls. But they hired me. I think it was just on Joel's recommendation, they hired me to do breakfast. 
Well, on, at that point, uh, and this is the first time we've done this on Crunchyroll, but we're gonna we're gonna split your life into two. Um, and, and <laughs> really? Not genuinely, because oh um, <laughs> it's, it, it's been genuinely fascinating hearing how you got into it and your time at Halland, at the station you dreamt of being on, the Pulse, Minster, and Radio Air. It just, it just uh, brilliant. And thank you for sharing that. But obviously, we get on to, um, for me, the point in your career where you become, well, it's the first time that you come into my life. Um, you, you then become my enemy and then you broadcast to a load of grannies from Ibiza. So there's still loads of juicy stuff, <laughs> which I want to share. So I think we'll, we'll, we're, we're going to do episode two at the end of the week. So um, Steph, just stay there because for anybody obviously who knows, we're just going to hit pause and then come back and carry on recording. I thought I was going to come back on Friday. No, 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 no. This is live, uh, isn't it? <laughs> but for you listening to Crunch and Roll, we'll be back later on in the week with Stephanie Hurst and part two. Oh, yeah.